Well, hello, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here and so glad that you've chosen to join us in person or online. And uh, we're continuing our series, My Story. And as you just saw the story of Jesus, and one of the things that we're talking about over the last few weeks today and in the coming weeks is how Jesus's story intersects with my story. Because what we believe, even here at the church, our name is based on that, is the cross is the point of life. And so if anybody ever asks you, what's that place, cross point, what's it about, you can easily say it's in the name. It's That church is about the cross, which is about Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we continue this series on my story, again, thinking through that question of how does his story match with my story and intersect and what does it change me? Because we believe that if you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, it will change. It has the opportunity to, to transform your mind, your heart, your soul, your life, your legacy, and your destiny. And so this morning, as we continue our series, My Story, I want you to think about that. Where are you at in your story with Jesus Christ? Have you encountered him? Are you still considering it? What's happening in that way? We're going to be looking at John chapter 3 in the story of Nicodemus. And so if you've been around church for a long time, you've probably heard the story of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes at night. You know all that different stuff. And so this morning, we're going to delve into that story a little bit. And maybe, hopefully, you'll get to see some new things and understand some things about that story in a new way. Well, one of the things about Nicodemus is, is that he was a wealthy man and he had a lot of money. So that's one thing about Nicodemus you need to know. Another thing about Nicodemus that you need to know was that he was a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was an exclusive group. There were about 6,000 Pharisees in all of the land. And to be a Pharisee meant that you, one, you had to be a man and you had to take a vow before the others. There were three witnesses that would hear you make the vow that you would hold tightly to the law. Now, whenever they made that commitment and that vow, what they were saying is that to the law was they were going to know the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, forward, backward, inside and out, reverse, all those different things, so that you could start a verse and they could finish it. They would know it. They would so know the scripture forward and backward that you could quote it. They would know it that well, that that was their duty, their responsibility. That was a part of being this exclusive group of 6,000. Now, this group of 6,000, many of them were rabbis and teachers, and so they wanted to help people understand the law and even be better followers of God and to have the rightness of God and to, and to all the different religious things that you needed in the day to be right before God, in their minds anyway. And so they actually wrote another book called the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah was writings from these rabbis over generations that were helping people, regular people, as they would say, understand how to fulfill the law to the greatest iota. So to the point of on the Sabbath day, you know you can't work. Well, what does that mean? And so they wrote out some illustrations and some stuff on how you can not work on the Sabbath day. And so one of the ways that you could not work on the Sabbath day was that you could not tie a knot, but you can untie a knot. You could ride a donkey, but you couldn't walk a donkey. You could kill a fly, but you couldn't kill it with a fly swatter. You had to pull the legs off of it. I mean, you could see these kind of, I mean, it's like to the iota, I mean, the, the, the way that they spent time thinking about how to keep the law, these are the people that Jesus was talking with and dealing with. So Nicodemus, he was wealthy, he was a part of the Pharisees, but he was also a part of an even more exclusive group called the Sanhedrin. In the Sanhedrin, there were only 70 of them. And this was a ruling council of men. And they were the ones that would stand before. And Jesus, before he went to the cross, as if you know the story a little bit, he went before the ruling council. He went before the Sanhedrin. And so here Nicodemus is a student of the word of God. 
He knows it. He knows the laws in and out, forward and backward. He can quote it to you all day, all night. He knows it. He's a part of the ruling class. He is the religious of all religious people. So here he is, someone as that person that he is, and he's watching this guy do what he does, this guy named Jesus, who we know as the Savior of the world. He's watching him, and he's taking all this in, and he's asking questions, who is this guy? One of the things that we know about Jesus is Jesus was a rabbi. People considered him a rabbi, even though he hadn't necessarily earned the title. He taught with such authority and in such a way that people began to call him rabbi, which meant that they put themselves at his feet to become a student of him. And so anyone that would call someone else a rabbi saying, hey, listen, I I hear what you're saying. I want to sit under your teaching and I want to learn how to live and walk and to do life like you do. And so that's what you're saying today, actually, as you've come in here and you're saying, hey, I want to sit under the teaching of Rabbi Chris and to do life like I do. So go shave your heads. No, I'm just kidding. All these things. And so that's what that means is to, to literally become just like that rabbi and that teacher. And so here that you have that information as we get into the story of Nicodemus in uh, John chapter three, starting at verse one. There was a man named Nicodemus. So now you know all about him, right? a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So he was rich, he was college educated, he was spiritual. I mean, he was everything there was there. But something is missing, okay, as we read his story. Something is missing. He has everything that the world and the spiritual world would even say would make him have a life complete and full. But something's missing. How do we know that? After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, one of the reasons that we believe that he came to Jesus to talk with him at the, at the nighttime is because of all the things I just told you. He's wealthy, he's a Pharisee, he's a Sanhedrin, he's well-known, and so he didn't want to be seen in the presence of Jesus just yet. He's got some questions, but it would cause some controversy if he's seen walking up and talking to him in public. And so he goes at night to have this conversation with Jesus. Now, the next word is very important. He says, Rabbi. What's he doing? Here's this guy of spiritual authority and knows all of this stuff places himself in this moment under the authority and teaching of Jesus. He says, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. And again, which is interesting because if we read through the New Testament, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they may have thought that, but they were attacking him. And so Nicodemus is coming with an entirely different attitude than others that he's sitting on the bench with and doing life with. Rabbi, we know, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So you can see there's miracles that are happening. The blind are beginning to see. Lepers are getting changed. And so all these miracles are happening. Water's turned into wine and all this. And he's teaching with authority. So here's Nicodemus, this really spiritual guy that knows everything about where the Messiah is going to come from. He's seeing all this evidence. And so he comes to Jesus at night and begins this discussion. And so as we've seen over the last few weeks, Jesus loves talking to people about where they're out in their life and in their faith. The woman at the well, Mary and Martha, and now this week with Nicodemus. And so what's the conversation go like? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He's like, whoa, that's a weird way to start a discussion. But that's Jesus. He flips things up and he kind of kind of gets you shaken up a little bit. And so here Nicodemus is saying, well, I didn't ask that question. And so Jesus tells him, unless you were born again. Now, this idea of born again is what you think it is, is that you are literally born again from your mother. That There's this new life. 
But also that word again, it also means anew, but it also means from above. And so here Jesus, as he's talking to Nicodemus, he's giving him this, this thought and he's letting him know, look, you're going to have to be born again. And that being born again is not from your mother, but from above. And so Nicodemus, probably like us in that moment, we're going born again. How do you get born again from your mother? And so that discussion keeps going on. And um, so hold on here. There we go. So what do you mean? Natural question, right? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man or woman go back into his mother's tummy and be born again? Great question. Jesus continues that discussion. And Jesus replied, I surely... Now, some of you, maybe you've grown up with old King Jimmy translation. You know what I mean? King James. And so the King James says to you, verily, verily, I say unto you. That just sounds great, doesn't it? So whenever we see that in this passage, that's what that means. I assure you, or literally, listen up. So some of you that are young people, or maybe you've older people, you've heard your parents or your teachers say, listen up. You heard that? That's what Jesus is saying. Listen up. Pay attention no one, and in the Greek, the original language, no one means no one. So even Nicodemus, who meets all of the qualifications for righteousness before God that man had put together, does not qualify for being born again into the kingdom of God. Okay, So no one can enter the kingdom of God. Now this idea of kingdom of God in those days meant that there was going to be a king and that king would rule the nation of Israel. Jesus, again, kind of throws that upside down, and he's saying the kingdom of God that you're thinking about is this nation of Israel is actually this heart, that the kingdom of God will reign here, so that when you're born anew and you're born again and you're born from above, this relationship here with this nation out here and these people doesn't matter anymore. It's the kingdom of God that takes place here. And so that when you say yes to Jesus in that moment, you're raising a flag of allegiance and the flag of allegiance is to Jesus. So here's what I want you to get is I don't even like that word Christian, because when we say that word Christian, there's this broad spectrum of things of what that means to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, there's research out now where they're asking people, hey, are you a Christian? And almost 95% of America says yes, that they are Christians because it's this broad term. But whenever they boil it down a little bit further and say, okay, let me ask you this. Would you say that, would you consider yourself as someone who is born again? Or are you someone that has, would say that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Those kind of things. And so there's these phrases and that number drastically drops. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, listen, there are a lot of spiritual people, but I want you to know that no one can have, can enter into heaven, the future kingdom, unless the kingdom of their heart has been transformed and been made new and been born again from above. A lot of words in that little bitty sentence, isn't it? Humans, continuing on, humans can only reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you. Now here he switches from you, Nicodemus, to you, everybody, okay, must be born again. The Holy Spirit gives life to flesh. This is an interesting idea that Jesus gives. He's he's basically telling him before you say yes to Jesus, before the Holy Spirit enters in and you become a follower of me, your flesh is dead, that you are a dead man walking. 
But in that moment that you become a Christian, that your life, your heart and life actually becomes animated. That you kind of begin and you actually experience life for the first time through Christ. And here's how he explains it. How many of you have ever been out at a windstorm? Two of That's awesome. And so when you've been a part of a windstorm, do you know where the wind comes from? Can you find the source? No. Now, we can go on the news and the meteorologist can tell us, hey, it comes from the east or whatever. And it may say, hey, it's come from this place. But it's virtually impossible for us to trace the source. And so Jesus is using this illustration to help Nicodemus understand what it means to be born again. Here it says, when the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So in other words, you can see the wind because you can see the leaves change. You can feel the wind because the wind, it refreshes you or blows you down or whatever it is. You can have this sense. And so Jesus is saying, just as you can't see the source of the wind, but you can see the experience or, the, or what's happening because of the wind, so it is true of the Holy Spirit. That someone that has encountered God and Jesus and has the Holy Spirit living in them knows that they know that they know Jesus, because they've experienced the Holy Spirit. And so it's this deal like if you've maybe you've gone somewhere and you've experienced something and you're sitting across from someone at dinner or coffee or something and you're explaining that to them and you're like, hey, I was in Paris or I traveled down the Amazon or hey, I went skydiving and you start talking about this experience and you're just excited and all this stuff and you're sitting across from someone that you assume has had the same experience, but they haven't, they're just not going to get it. Right? Because they don't know what you know. And that's what Jesus is saying. Is that as the Spirit of God flows, you know that you know because you've experienced it. You felt it. You know it. And you can tell other people about that experience even if you don't understand it fully. And we don't because we're humans and we don't understand the mind and activity of God. But you can sit across from someone and say, this is what I know that I know that I know. And others will go, I don't know. Here's what I want you to grasp, is that many, many, right, 95% would proclaim the name of Christianity. Many are improved caterpillars. What do I mean by that? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says that your mind is changed when you encounter God. And when you encounter God and your mind is changed, you no longer desire to be conformed or pressed in by the world and let the world make decisions for you, but you're transformed from the inside out so that you're metamorphed, that you go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. And there are many that proclaim the name of Christianity and that are Christians that are working hard. They've got the rules down. They've got the regulations down. They know what they're not supposed to do. They know what they are to do. And so there are all this different stuff. And so some even Christian denominations will tell you, you're supposed to dress this way, or you're not supposed to do this, or you're not supposed to drink this. And all these things are there. Why? Because we're checking off things because we want to appear to be Christian, because we want to see some results of what should happen, some things that should happen from an internal decision. But what happens is you're an improved caterpillar, so you've got a better stereo system, you've got a better wheels, you've got a better shocks, and people notice something's changed about you, but you consistently have to keep upgrading. 
Because it's never enough. You're always working harder to do it. However, when you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God takes residence with inside of you, and now you're not an improved caterpillar that maybe can do life and you can kind of spot some things, but now as a butterfly, you have an entirely different perspective. Your appetite is different. You see things different. You act different. People look at you and go, well, he's not an improved butterfly. That dude's an F-18. And they notice the difference. And an F-18 knows that what is an improved caterpillar, the improved caterpillar can notice this, but there's this something that happens in transformation in that moment. That's what Jesus is talking about. You must be born again from above. And the only way that you can know that, that you know that you know that you know, is that you sense the Spirit of God has moved in your life. And you can know it and explain it, but others have to experience it for themselves. Obviously, the next question Nicodemus asks is, well, how are these things even possible? And Nicodemus asks that question, and Jesus replies, you, he's a respected Jewish teacher, he should know these things, and yet you don't understand them. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, it tells us that there's going to come a day where the religious people of the day are going to be thrown upside down by the coming of the Messiah, and he's going to do things differently. And here's our favorite words, verily, verily, I say unto you, listen up. We tell you what we know and have seen. Again, this is that I've been to Paris, I've been to Amazon, I've been skydiving. But you don't believe my testimony. I've skydived, I have pictures and all that stuff, and you do not believe it. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about these earthly things, the basic things, how can you possibly believe the things of heaven? Because you're supposed to be an expert. No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has gone down, from, come down from heaven. And then he gives them this story, reminds them back to, to Numbers. And in Numbers, there's a story of the Israelite people who had been rebelling. Now, as you as parents, you might kind of remember this story. It's, it's a good one. Is the Israelite children were complaining and grumbling because they didn't like the food they were getting. They were tired and walking. It's like that old, the movie, is, Are We There Yet? You know what I mean? And so you've been like 30 minutes down the road, and the kids are already tired of the movies and the snacks, and they're like, are we there yet? And that's what the Israelites, they've been traveling in the desert for a little bit. It's dry, it's dusty, God's providing food every day, and they're like, "Ah, this is boring. And so they begin to complain. And so what happens? As parents, you threaten and you say, I'm going to pull the car over and we're going to make you happy, right? Well, this is kind of what happened. God pulled the car over and he said, you're going to experience something that's going to change your heart and mind. And so poisonous snakes started showing up. This is a weird story. I can't explain everything. This is a crazy story. And so poisonous snakes are on their journey now because they were complaining about food. So nobody will complain about food anymore. And so snakes start showing up. They get bit and they die. Well, now they're really complaining. Why would God do this to us? And so God provides an opportunity, an out for them. And he asked Moses to create a bronze snake and put it on a pole and to lift it up and that he would walk forward in safety in the people of Israel. Every time that they were bitten by a snake, they could look up at that bronze snake and they would be healed and walk to safety. Weird story, I know. Okay, but this is what Jesus is talking about. So as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So imagine, here's Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the spiritual leader, and he says, just as Moses was lifting up that snake and they were healed and were able to find safety, so will I be lifted up. 
and that the snakes and the poison of the world, people can keep their eyes on me and walk through that and find life and find healing. And Nicodemus is like, oh, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to get it. This is a verse you know. For this is how much God loves the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. The son lifted up. Believe in him, and you will have life. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That's the thing that the religious teachers of the day were struggling with, is here is Jesus walking amongst them and teaching them a simple thing of the kingdom of God is here. And they're thinking about this nation is raising, and he's doing this. The kingdom of God is here. That if you believe in me, the kingdom of God is here, and it will transform you, and you will no longer live life like a caterpillar. You will experience a new life, and you will experience the freshness of the wind. And you, why will you express the, experience the freshness of the wind? Because you're not a caterpillar. You are a butterfly. And the wind will not knock you down, but will raise you up to higher heights to even see things from an even better and wider perspective. He gave his son for you and I so that we can experience that. So therefore, there is now no condemnation against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been condemned for not believing in God's only son. So in other words, the condemnation that comes on us at the moment of judgment is condemnation that we have chosen. He didn't judge us. He didn't come to judge us or condemn us. It's actually us choosing that. And the condemnation is based on this fact, that God's light came into this world, but the people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus is drawing his audience back to Nicodemus. And here's the deal, is that when you are in the dark, you don't even understand how dark your dark is. Let me say that again. When you are in the dark, you don't even understand how dark your darkness is. Have you ever heard of these things called vampires? Vampires shy away from what? Light. Why? Because they love and live in the darkness. Whenever the things that we run from in life are the things of light because they expose us. The very thing that we need the most is honesty, transparency, vulnerability. Someone say nakedness before God. We need to become move from darkness into light. The very thing that we need that brings life. You grow things in light, not darkness. Jesus is saying, listen, if you're in darkness, you don't even know how dark your darkness is. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for the, for the sake that they realize that their sins are going to be exposed. None of us wants to be exposed. But the safest place to be exposed is before God himself. Because he's not there to judge us or to condemn us. He's there to bring life to us. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. Salvation is an internal work. Listen, my hope for you is that you're not a caterpillar that is dressed up nice, that has put on new wheels and new rims and a new stereo, and you're working hard because you're going to be an exhausted person trying to fulfill all these things that you think will bring you rightness before God. My hope is that you have experienced 
the wind of God over you and you can't explain it, but you know that the source of it is God and God alone because it's transformed your heart and your mind and soul and it's in process. And others are seeing something different in you because you're pursuing the wind. Because once you've experienced something and you know that you know that you know that it's good, you want more of it. Have you ever been skydiving? It's a crazy cool experience. And guess what you want to do? You want to go again. You want to go again. You want to go again. If you've had something, you've been to a really good restaurant and you've had something good, guess what you want to do? It doesn't even matter the cost. You're like, it is worth the cost to go again. If you've been to a place around the world that you've always dreamed of and you go and it's, it meets your expectations, you're like, man, this is a beautiful place. What do you want to do? Book me again. I want to go back year after year after year. Why? Because you've enjoyed the experience and it has brought satisfaction to your heart and your soul and your mind. And I'm telling you, an encounter with Jesus Christ and with the Spirit of God coming over your life and you experience, you've tasted and you've seen, you may not be able to fully explain this to someone else, but you know that you know that you know that you've experienced this. You want more of it because you've been born from above. And you know what it's like to be a caterpillar. They get stepped on. They're ugly. Some of them even bite. Butterflies? Everybody stands back in awe. Like, wow. Look at that. Look at that. That used to be a caterpillar. I'm praying that's your story. That you've encountered Jesus. And you could say, man, I used to be a caterpillar but now I'm a butterfly. I don't understand how I got here. I just said yes to Jesus. And here I am. But I'm going to enjoy it. And I don't want to go back to being here because this is what I was made to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the story of your son, of what he endured and what he had to go through because you We're so crazy mad in love with us that you gave your one and only son for us. It doesn't make sense to our minds, but it's the truth. So, Father, I pray this morning, if there's anyone that needs to say yes to Jesus, that needs to be born again, that needs to be born anew, that needs to be born from above, that desires to experience the freshness of your wind blowing over their body and their face and their soul and to know that they know to know that they have peace with you and a relationship with you. Father, this morning may they do that. If that's what you need this morning, it's it's this easy. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Transform me. Thank you. If that's what you prayed this morning, let us know. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.